Hi, Stably. Hi, Jerry. How are you Happy, doing? I'm doing well. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. It's been, um, you know, new page, new uh, world. It's, it's oh yeah, great. it's been going great so far. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's been a while. Um, the the book that we chose for this time, actually, we chose two books for this time, and. and in full disclosure, we only managed to get through one because, at least for me, it really kicked my ass. Uh, it, it, it's not that it was a difficult book by any stretch, but it's just a it's a long book, and it is very dense. Uh, dense, and but that's it's good dense, right? Because it's very yeah. data driven. Yeah, for uh, sure. And so we're we're going to talk about white shift. Uh, yes. Populism, Immigration, and the Future of White Majorities by Eric Kaufman, um, which was a, a good book. Um, maybe we should start, Stably, since this was your pick, uh -oh. since, since you did this to us. Um, <laughs> tell us uh, about Eric Kaufman, what you know about him, and uh, why you picked a book, maybe. So I, I'm not an expert in Kaufmanology. Is that the right <laughs> word? But um, I think he's I think he's British. He's, he definitely works in London. I think now he, he's Canadian. Is he Canadian? See, I don't know. I can't. Uh, but, he, but he's one of these. Um, he's uh, one of these uh, rootless globalist cosmopolitan types. Yeah, he's one of these Commonwealth Canadians. Yes. Yeah. So you're right. He is Canadian, born in Hong Kong. Right, exactly. To like half English, half Chinese, half Latino, right? yeah, yeah, or something like that. Parents, you know, Canadian works in the UK, studies Northern Ireland, among other things. Um, so, you know, very interesting, you know, background, uh, interesting history. Probably gives him, you know, a different perspective on a lot of these issues. Yeah, and he's like a data-driven. Uh, I, would you say political scientist or sociologist? I think more political scientist, right? It seems so. Yeah, he's um, the data he presents in the book is mostly political, not exclusively. Science. Yeah, political science and a lot of polling, a lot of polling and a lot of um, demography. Yeah, um, and I guess his focus is um, how ethnicity intersects with politics and, and society exactly and not uh not like political polling he's not like working yeah, for yeah. Some, <laughs> this is like academic um opinion academic, polling yeah or attitude polling or whatever exactly uh okay so what is white shift what what is that word that he uses so he has uh two definitions that i'm already forgetting one of them <laughs> but um one is i guess the gradual so he's talking about like Western societies in the United States, the Anglosphere and Western Europe. And he's talking about the gradual, uh, what, is word, what is the word he uses? The Bayesianing of those yeah. countries. Uh, I guess it's a term from Michael Lind where people are going from largely white um, you know, stock to more of a, of a beige complexion because of um, kind of non-white immigration and intermarriage. Right. But I think in addition to that, what I think he means by white shift, I think I'm trying to, of course I have notes, but I, I can't see <laughs> where the definition is. But I think in addition to that, it's that the 
concept of white um, grows its boundaries to include all these other, all these you know, heretofore outside the boundary uh, ethnicities or whatever you want to call it. It grows the boundaries to include them in such a way that they are part of white. Yes. So while the, I mean, just to put it like super crudely, while kind of maybe like skin tone might become less white and more like your beautiful olive, right. um, the people that uh, people are marrying into a white, like kind of uh, cultural space. So over time, even though, you know, your ancestors might be from all over the place, not just Europe anymore. Um, you're th those people might still think of themselves as descendants of like Washington and Lincoln and, and right. we, fought, it, it, we fought the Nazis, all that good stuff. Right. So if not actual descendants of the Mayflower uh, uh, travelers, but at least ideological or, or at least uh, national um, creed descendants of Washington, et cetera. Yeah. I think he's actually making a more like a stronger uh, claim that like they, those, I mean, this will be happening in the decades and like centuries to come. I think those people might just be fully assimilated and think yeah. of themselves ethnically as white. Yes. Yes. And, um, and I think like he's an example of this, right? Because as you say, he is part Jewish, part, um, Anglo, Chinese. Yeah. part Chinese, part Latino. Uh, but if you look at, you know, he says that when he asks anybody, you know, what am I? People say you're white. Like, mm -hmm. it's just clear. If he says, you know, I'm a quarter Chinese, they look at him and they're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I can kind of see that. Right. Uh, um, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're looking at his picture. You're taking I'm looking, at his picture. I'm looking at it. It's like, yeah, yeah. The calipers. Yeah. Yeah. Eyelids, all that stuff. It's, yeah. uh, it's a very, a lot of Russians actually are like like Eastern Slavs. They're they're uh, they're a mixed people. So, right. If you tell them like if you tell people oh they're white, it's like oh yeah of course. And then you say like well actually they're like ten percent East Asian. All of a sudden it's like well the eyes like Yeltsin yeah, right? Like yes the Yeltsin. No, or like my mom. Yeah. Like my my dad is uh, all Hebrew, but right. um, you know my mom is Russian and. You know, if, if you had told someone like she's white, it's like, oh, it's obvious because she's blonde and whatever. But if you said, well, actually, you know, 10% whatever Mongol, <laughs> uh, uh, they might say, oh, yeah, I kind of see it. So right. it's, it's, we're treading on dangerous ground. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, and, and, he, and he points out that he has relatives, I guess, in like East Los Angeles or whatever, who he has some that self-identify or at least present as white and they pull it off. And then there are others who don't. Yeah. But, Did he mention a brother? I think he might have mentioned sure. yeah, a, maybe. a brother or sibling who, that basically has exactly the same composition he does, but presents or, you know, is maybe darker skinned or something. And people, you know, if you were to ask, what is this guy? They wouldn't say white. Right. But they're brothers, right? Um, so, uh, so that's what the book is about. It's about that. This process. Um, yeah. By the way, the other definition of white shift that he sort of like, it, I don't know why he does that, right? Because it's really weird to say the word has two definitions and one is like kind of the theme of the book and the other one's like this throwaway one, uh -huh. which is confusing. But the other definition is basically just the idea that what we now think of as white, right? That that group is going to become a minority. 
Whatever. Yes. Yeah. So what, it's actually like on page one, uh, the yes. second more immediate connotation, the declining white share of the population in Western uh, countries. Right. And, and so then the, the, the thrust of the book is that, um, uh, you know, we, we've had this um, period of time um, where the, you know, where white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, or at least just whatever white has been clearly dominant and has been, you know, the, um, the nation has been founded on the symbols and traditions of that group. Exactly. And by the way, this is not just about the United States. It's about Britain and Canada and Western Europe, as you say, but I think as a shorthand, we're, we're going to mostly talk about the U S. Um, so we're, so we've had that long period and we're moving to a world where you're still going to have white dominance. It's just that what white means is going to be broader, right? It's going to include all, all kinds of people that maybe today you, it wouldn't be obvious or, you know, it's kind of like uh, Irish and Italians and Jews weren't always considered white, right? Uh, yeah, and I think he he definitely, as you said, he goes into detail about this, and it's a little bit more. I think he he says it's a little bit more complicated than, you know, Irish became white when it was useful for some horrible right. white supremacists to make them. It was they were always white, but they were not Anglo-Saxon. Right, they were not wasps, and more than being white, the wasps who founded this country and kind of controlled it for many many centuries. They were more interested in if you were like from Northern Europe and Protestant and Anglo. We don't want any Germans or Irish, <laughs> right? Uh, which is what people were fighting about even as late as the late nineteenth century, right? And there was basically white shift about you know <laughs> white shift um, with respect to those people. Exactly. Yeah. And you ended up with a broader definition of white that beyond white anglo-saxon protestant right to it include went to, catholic and irish and yeah. jewish right yeah, it went to european american so it went from yeah and it I went like from what yeah Go ahead. And, went from, and went from protestant to judeo-christian right <laughs> okay um and so we're kind of going to see the same thing happen again and his point is that um that's going to happen in the future we're going to get to that state but we're in the in-between period mm-hmm uh -huh. And that has uh, uh, a lot of, there's a lot of uh, turmoil that's going to happen in, the, in that in-between period. So, um, so that's the book. All right. That's a book. Uh, <laughs> so maybe it, I think it's kind of interesting um, to think about this kind of personally, right? Because like you started to talk a little bit about your ethnic uh makeup um i mean i think anybody who looks at you stably would say you're white right do you identify as white see that's the thing and this is uh this goes to like the heart of the book i don't hmm. I, I just because i don't know what that you know I, i'm not so far along as uh the people ransacking the capital <laughs> i don't know what what that means you know, I, um, and I, it goes to something he said. So, you know, I, I come to this country, you know, this land of opportunity. And um, so, so people know you were not born in the United States. I was not. I was born in Leningrad. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, my dad's side of the family is Jewish. So we got the hell out of Dodge <laughs> in, um, I guess, like winter 89. So but what is that? But, but okay, so I'm sorry to interrupt you, right? Oh, go ahead. But what does that even mean? But what does that even mean to say you're, it's Jewish? What does that mean ethnically? Right. So in the in Russia or the Soviet Union. So my dad tells this joke that in uh, the Soviet Union slash Russia, he was a Jew. And then as soon as he comes here to America, he's all of a sudden Russian. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, what are you talking about? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's. You know, it's like they're different countries, Jerry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's complicated. So I think in and he he you know talks about this to, like when we're arguing. I asked him a few years ago if he's white, and he said, "No, I'm Jewish." <laughs> yeah. uh, and so you know, broad strokes, you know, being Jewish in a place like Russia and probably large parts of Europe, it's an ethnicity. It's mm -hmm. not just oh, you're Jewish, you wear the silly hat and you do church on Saturday instead of Sunday, but you know, you play baseball and listen to rock and rap and do everything else the same. You're just like an American, but you know, you don't eat pork. Whereas in other countries, it's like, no, you're a Jew. Like right. you're not Russian because most countries still in Europe, I think, and I guess this is the whole point of the book, especially in Eastern Europe, they're defined by the local dominant ethnic group. So, I mean, Russia is called the Russian Federation. There's a bunch of other ethnic groups living there who just are not Russian. They're, you know, they're like Turks and Mongols and Udmurts and Finns <laughs> and Jews and Armenians and German, like maybe there's some Germans left. So, but it's not like the United States where it's like, oh, we're, we're all Russian. It's like, well, you're a citizen of the Federation, but like I'm Russian and you're Tatar. You know, right. it's not it's not the same. So, you know, I don't know how much of a culture shock it was for him. It's not like we came out of a shtetl. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we lived in a massive city, you know, very like fairly probably culturally uh, sophisticated. Um, yeah, but coming here, you know, all of a sudden he goes from being a Jew to being a Russian. Um, and for me, it's very interesting. So I grew up here in the early nineties, right? So in Iowa in central Iowa, so mm -hmm. very Midwestern, pretty like, you know, white bread still is. Um, and what you did, and maybe this is just my own psychosis to fit in is you pretend to like Michael Jackson, <laughs> not knowing like who this person is. <laughs> um, and you pretend to understand what American football is. Right. And like who the Nittany Lions are or what a Nittany Lion is, that's that's a college football team from University of Pennsylvania or Penn State or one of them. I don't even remember. Um, and you kind of, you know, you're not really bullied, but you, at least I kind of understood if you want to fit in, you like pretend to like peanut butter and drink <laughs> root beer and like figure out what like basketball and baseball are and what 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 downs are and that's what like you do as a kid and then i'm sure what that caused in me is like i just identify as like an american right you know it's like and it's interesting you, you came here how old were you when you came to the u.s so by the time we got here and it took because we left as refugees from the soviet union it took months and months like we had to go to austria and italy and like get interviewed by the cia to make sure we weren't the yeah. Americans or something. So by the time I got here, I was seven ish. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
so that's interesting. So you, um, it's interesting. That process that you're describing, you're quick to say it's not bullying. I mean, it can be because kids are monsters. So like right. if you're, if you're weird or different for any reason, yeah. and that could include being an immigrant who just doesn't know, you know, it's, it's not always the best. <laughs> right. Um, but it's, it's, it's like you will conform to the dominant culture if you want to fit in. And right. it doesn't even have, I'm sure it doesn't have to be bullying. It's just like, do you want to engage in conversation with children your age? Right. Well, what are they talking about, yeah. yeah, what are they talking about? And you better not call yourself like some weird Russian name, like Stanislav. Like right. no one can pronounce that. You're just Stan. Right. Um, so it's, it's, I'm sure it's like happened hundreds of millions of times for immigrants in America where you, you ditch the weird foreign stuff and, you know, become a baseball player. Right. Uh, and is that a bad thing? Um, you know, I've thought about this more and more in the last few years, just thinking back like, well, you know, it's, um, it's probably an added layer of anxiety and aggravation to like kids. Let's, let's, mm -hmm. put, you know, for grownups, I'm sure it's a whole other thing where they can, it takes them forever to learn the language. Everything is different. So kids are a lot more adaptable. Um, I don't know. It probably is a little aggravating, but there are a lot of weird kids <laughs> and kids that don't fit like the mold and they have to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. I'm not even talking about like if you're autistic or some nonsense like that, just, you know, you don't like these things. You don't really care about again, yeah, college football or anything. And you kind of pretend to get along and it doesn't seem like that's a war crime to me. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting. You have this experience, uh, you know, I think clearly colored by the fact that you came when you were seven, which is very different from. Oh, sure. Right. What I think a lot of this book is about, which is Asher's intermarriage, Asher's new uh, issue. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it, it, so take my experience, right? Um, so when did you move to America from Miami? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Very good. Thank um, you. Been yeah, waiting so, weeks to make that joke. <laughs> so, uh, you know, my father's Cuban, my mother's Spanish. Um, I was born in Miami. And so I, um, like, I didn't, uh, I didn't speak English until, I didn't start to learn to speak English until I was like five, right? Until I got to first grade and I got put into the so I mean, think about it. I was born in this country <laughs> for the first four or five years of my life. I did not speak English, right? Including I went to um, a private elementary school um, mm -hmm. for for um, kindergarten that was taught in Spanish. And when my parents realized at the end of that year that I had did not know any English, they were like, fuck this. And they put me in a public school down the street. And so I was put in ESOL classes. Um, oh, yeah, I did that too. Yeah, so we have similar experiences in that in that sort of you know we kind of both immigrated in a way, um, <laughs> but I felt none of that. Um, like I always liked Michael Jackson, right? Like I always knew what baseball was, um, and so I think that's more. I don't know. So I think of my daughter now. Uh, you know, so I've married somebody who is. Uh, you know, what would be recognized as white. Um, uh, you know, her parents are like you know, some mixture of like Irish and English. Um, 
you know, just American. Um, exactly. And my, so my daughter is quote unquote half Hispanic. Um, but like, you know, she refuses to speak Spanish now. She's three years old. So I, there's still hope. Um, <laughs> but like, I, you know, she's not going to be anything other than just white. Um, Are you going to have the quinceanera? The quinceanera. <laughs> <laughs> we, my, my mom was visiting, and I don't know how we got on this, but we started putting quinceanera, I, I guess because she was dressing like, in a, like as a princess. Uh -huh. And so we started putting on quinceanera videos. You, you can go on YouTube and see basically like home videos of quinceanera parties, and they are spectacular. Uh, I recommend that. Okay. <laughs> um, I feel like we're getting uh, kind of uh, a, a far afield from our topic. Um, well, you know, it, but it, so, you know, obviously the thing with me is, you know, I show up to, I moved to Iowa mm -hmm. and I'm white, despite what my dad says. Right. Um, so, you know, if I had moved to, so this is 1990, if I'm moving to Compton or East LA or, you know, Spanish Harlem or Miami, like I'm going to have a different experience. Right. Uh, <laughs> just because like I'm maybe the uh, majority, you know, ethnic group in the country or at least racial group, but where I move is going to be, you know, completely different. So, you know, in, in the parlance of our times, it's pretty privileged to be white and, you know, there's a community. It's not like they, dump Jews on a ship and just put them wherever they went. It's, you know, you're welcomed by the local community and they kind of take care of you forever. So, you know, that also colors the experience, but, um, you know, it's because I am the way I am and who I am that it, you know, he gets into this in the book. I identify with, American history and culture and all these other things. And it just so happens, or it, it's not that it just so happens. Those things are also generally ethnically white or mm -hmm. Anglo-Saxon Protestant, whatever, especially if you go further back. Um, so what he, what Kaufman points out in the book is white people in Britain, especially and starting now in the United States, they are starting to see the cleavage between their national history mm -hmm. and the kind their ethnic history and their ethnic uh, attachments. Whereas if you're Afro-Caribbean and your parents came in the 50s or 40s or 60s, um, you've always known that, you know, the history of my ethnicity, if I'm Jamaican or whatever, I, I, you know, I could be second generation living in England, but like, what do I have in common with Queen Victoria exactly? <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, there is that separation between here's the history of, quote, my people, and here's the history of my nation or the state or, or whatever, and it doesn't really match up. It's not the same thing. And so Whitey is finally starting to kind of get a, a, a taste of that, and they don't like it. <laughs> well, yeah. So, yeah, so basically that the... What does he say? He talks that the myths and symbols that became the nations were basically those of the ethnic, the dominant ethnic group, so white. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, and now that group is becoming a minority um, in a in what, for at least for the time being, will be a multicultural uh, uh, sort of agglomeration of a lot of different minorities, but nonetheless those symbols and myths that represent the nation stay there. 
right? It's still George Washington and the apple tree. It's still, you know, whatever that. Lincoln, yeah. storming the beaches of Omaha, all that stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, so what is, um, so, I mean, so I guess my question is, what's the wide anxiety all about? Like, so what, right? Uh, Good question. Yes. Yeah. And I, you know, he, so he goes into, I guess what you would call like political psychology and, you know, there are basically, well, I get, he, he, there's different ways of slicing the sausage, I guess, but mm -hmm. there are people who are more liberal in outlook, right? More uh, like welcoming and caring. Uh, he, he goes into great detail with this stuff. So I don't want to necessarily just read from the yeah. book. Um, and then there are people who are more conservative mm -hmm. and you can further slice up the conservative end of the spectrum from uh, like a political psychology point of view. A, a conservative can be left, left wing or right wing mm -hmm. or centrist, I guess. Um, so conservatives, want to, you know, like the name says, maybe conserve what they have right now or what was true in maybe the very recent past. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't like change, uh, especially rapid change. Right. And there's another part of like the conservative wing, which are, and he says like, this is maybe not the best naming for these people is authoritarians. So these are not necessarily like Nazis, but they're people that don't like diversity. Right. So, you know, psychologically, you, these people make up together maybe, well, maybe half the population. Uh, right. It's unclear, but it, it, that's the impression I get. Is like it's close to about half the people in in the world, or at least in Western countries, are this way. And, and, and just to be clear, it's um, so. For example, when he says that authoritarians don't like um, diversity, it's not just racial diversity. I mean, for example, um, inequality. Yes, is a kind of diversity that these kinds of you know authoritarians or conservatives don't like. And so I would say, for example, a good example of, of the kind of you know conservative authoritarian that he's talking about could be like a Bernie Sanders, right? If you if you think about Bernie Sanders, he does not like um, inequality. He does not like immigration, despite whatever he's been saying lately. <laughs> yeah, uh, he under yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so it's not. So this is not a a right left or really even a uh, racial or racist thing. Um, no, yeah, it doesn't necessarily. So, no, uh, what I like about the book is he he does try to be, they're connected, but he tries to split up like racial mm -hmm. racial issues and ethnic issues and cultural issues, right? Because these very same people or their ancestors who are complaining about Mexicans and Asians and whatever coming in were complaining about Irish and Swedes and the ruddy Germans, you know? Right. Um, and those are like, they knew that these people were white if they even thought of it this way, but they don't want people who are different from them. Like we're, we're English, we're English and Scottish or whatever. And we don't want these like, people who are different from us that like drink on Sunday coming in and it's not the, the fact that you're both quote European didn't really matter. Yeah. So yeah. it was um, very interesting to me that uh, I, I kind of didn't know this, I guess, or never thought about it, that um, prohibition was basically a proxy or between the Protestants and the Catholics. You, know, you should have read your Rothbard. 
I guess so, yeah. <laughs> you too. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you read the more um more out there kind of uh, <laughs> libertarian stuff from like Murray Rothbard and some of those other kind of paleo libertarian yeah. people, um they do talk about how a lot of um progressivism did i say that word right the mm -hmm. progressives in the like early 20th century late 19th century but more so in the early 20th these were wasps who just didn't like catholics yeah. and their beer gardens i mean this yeah. is an exaggeration but you know the whole public school movement all these other things were assimilationists uh, assimilationist methods of turning germans and irish from like these you know beer swilling Catholics into good, hardworking Protestants, essentially. Um, so yeah, Rothbard talks about that. And um, uh, Kaufman uh, might be a better, uh, more careful historian than Murray Rothbard. I don't know. <laughs> but he goes into like how kind of the ins and outs of how that happened. And, you know, it wasn't just a straight line from being a Unitarian minister and a wasp to all of a sudden I'm a progressive. There were, there were ups and downs. And that's a very interesting part of the book as well. Right. So um, I feel like we're going all over the place. And, but this is kind of like this book kind of goes all, doesn't have like a, there's no, nothing systematic about it. Um, so maybe that's why we're doing this. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because he organizes it. There's like an introductory chapter and yeah. he, he talks about the different ways of dealing with white shift. And yeah. like one of them is like fight, there's repress, flee and join. Yeah. So, so wait, I'm, I'm not so this is from the point of view of a white person, right? So you can yeah. fight, you're trying to keep people out. You can repress your own feelings. Yes. Uh, you can flee, which means go to your own enclave, or you can join, which is, you know, intermar intermarry and et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, but, that, but still, so yeah, so those are all very interesting chapters and ways, but like his ideas, there's something systematic. Uh, like he, he just presents these and then that's it, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I think he tries to tie them in. What's interesting is he, uh, he doesn't really have like that standard. I'm going to have like a concluding yes. paragraph or, or concluding uh, chapter, really or a concluding chapter, because like the first few chapters are like a hundred pages long, mm -hmm. uh, and they're very good. They're very interesting, but yeah, he doesn't like the way he organizes it. It's a little, yeah, it's a little hard to kind of. So for simple minds like mine. Yeah. So if I was going to write a concluding paragraph for him or pull out like the, the things that, that I think he's arguing, um, I, I would say a couple things. So, so one big one is that he thinks, so one thing is um, sort of the, uh, he describes positively um, or descriptively, he, he's describing the transition that we're saying. Right, and he's making um, a educated prediction that what's going to happen is not that you're going to end up with um, uh, a multicultural society with different minority groups vying with each other. You're not going to have some kind of um, expulsion of of groups so that you maintain. What you're going to have is this white shift where the meaning of white grows, um, and you'll have uh, basically a stable equilibrium eventually um centered around a concept of white that's broader right mm -hmm. um, in the meantime though so, so far that's all descriptive in the meantime though um uh the you know the people who are 
the, the, the traditional understanding of white are becoming a minority and that's making them anxious. And okay, so now we're getting to the um, normative piece. I think an argument that he makes is that it would be really, really good or it'd be better if we didn't pretend that that anxiety or expression of that anxiety is racism and that it should be just shunned and uh, you know, not um, acknowledged in any way and repressed, but instead accepted the way that we accept um, black or Asian or Hispanic um, uh, you know, dis you know, discussion about black or Hispanic or Asian interests. What do you think about that? That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 what he says. Um, that it's it's counterproductive. You know, it, it, I don't know how often he shows his own cards, like what he really believes. Um, you know, but he's he in a few places he does say, like, look, I'm not white ethnic supremacist. I'm a one of these like I'm very liberal, and I'm obviously cosmopolitan. You can just look at my history and like what I do. But if you live in a democracy. Right. Um, even if you don't live in a democracy, uh, if you just, yeah, if you repress and suppress these feelings and you call anyone who dares bring it up a racist, you know, yes, you might tampen it, tamp it down for a while, but it's going to probably erupt <laughs> at some point. Right. And in the meantime, those grievances that they have, which are based in on ethnic and cultural concerns, they're just going to be like, transmogrified into something else so instead of saying like i'm just nervous about this place not looking like it used to when i was young you're gonna talk about crime right or terrorism and the muslim menace or you know um public services like oh my kid can't get into school because of all of these you know whatever um so those those anxieties are turned into something else which is one, not really an accurate statement of what people are afraid of. So even if you, quote, solve those problems, you're not going to help those people um, with their anxiety. And two, you actually end up hurting the the incoming immigrants and minorities by making them show papers if their kid wants to attend public school or, you know, making all the forms English only. So, you know, you're, you're going to choose public policies or, you know, not allowing Muslims to immigrate to America you're going to create policies that actually help no one, but hurt a bunch of people. Right. I mean, this is a quote from, from the book that I thought was great. Uh, it's more politically correct to worry about Islam's challenge to liberalism and East European cheap labor in Britain than it is to say you're attached to being a white Brit and fear cultural loss. This means left modernism has placed us in a situation where expressing racism is more acceptable than articulating racial self-interest. Yeah, um, it's a weird one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and it's interesting, right? Because there is no, like, the joke is like, oh, Black History Month. Where's the White History Month? And, and like, yeah, that's most people who say that are either my dad or uh, <laughs> they're either trolling you or they're probably racist. But like, what is the separate from waving the American flag? What is the approved way of showing? you know, ethnic, you know, and it's even weird to say it, ethnic pride and being white. Right. Uh, I mean, there really isn't one that's approved. And, you know, even showing pride in something like the flag or America or the 4th of July is 
probably going to open you up to some sort of uh, attack of being like a white supremacist just right there. Right. And that's increasingly the case. Right? Yes. Um, and so what ends up, it's, it's funny because it's, uh, yeah, it's not good because what ends up happening is, as you say, these things get repressed and repressed and then they erupt and they erupt like they erupted on January 6th. Um, uh, sort of, you know, there it's, how do I put this? Um, as you say, there are other things that are kind of covering what this is really about. Yes. Um, but they erupt and then that triggers more repression, which is, it's sort of like this crazy feedback uh, uh, loop that begins to happen. Yeah, there's a, I did highlight highlighted many sections but there's one towards the end where he says right-wing populism has little to do with economics mm -hmm. but arises from ethnic change caused by immigration which unsettles the existential security of conservative and order-seeking whites yeah and he has a, a really fascinating thing where he he did some polling uh both in the u.s and in britain where he asked a question um something like um you know, how big of an issue is it for you about housing? Is, was it housing prices? Um, oh, he did so many polls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here you go. Here you go. I, I, I found it. Uh, he says, um, uh, he asked white Republicans, um, white Republican voters, he asked them, um, how would you score the problem of, quote, unchecked urban sprawl? And they rated it a 51 out of 100. But then he asked uh, you know, the, the, the same but different group, um, about the question of unchecked urban sprawl caused by immigration, and uh, they scored it. They scored it seventy-four out of a hundred. Yeah. Uh, same thing in Britain, right? He asked the question, the problem of pressure on council housing, and they scored it forty-seven out of a hundred. And then they, he asked the um, immigrants putting pressure on council council housing, and it was sixty-eight out of a hundred. Um, so that's interesting because what that means is that. All of the um, stuff that Josh Hawley and increasingly Marco Rubio and maybe even Tom Cotton are talking about with respect to um, economic populism is kind of like not what's motivating the populist uh, sort of wing of the Republican Party at the moment. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there was... Um... So Eric Hoffman is, an, and I forget the name of the center, it's this new kind of think tank research group started by Richard Hanania. Mm -hmm. And I think Eric Kaufman is involved with that, actually. I think he's on their board or something like that, uh, which is not surprising because they just came out with a paper about what actually drives, like mm -hmm. Trump. We're, we're finally saying Trump, by the way. Uh, what actually kind of drove Trump voters and kind of the populist right in general. And it's not... It's not economic issues. So it's not like, oh, you've been left behind by, I don't know, NAFTA and automation and all that other stuff. Right. It's, uh, I mean, they frame it as culture war issues. So, you know, this involves like pronouns and uh, gender stuff and all the rest. But, um, you know, I'm sure immigration would count as a cultural issue for a lot of these people. And it all, kind of gets wrapped up in the, this isn't the country I grew up in anymore. Right. Um, you know, immigration is probably a big part of it, but is it, lately it's obviously been gender and, and all that other stuff. Um, and it's what he calls, you know, he has a lot to say about what he calls left modernism, 
which I said earlier. And uh, I just feel like I, I don't have the energy to go through explaining <laughs> what that is. Um, but it's it's basically um, what the elite left has become, right? Which is uh, sort of anti-traditional. Um, how would you de- how would you describe it? Like it's you know, people might recognize it as woke. Um, I mean, yeah, that's that's pretty much exactly what it is. He has like a really, he has a list. Very of, careful, yeah. Definitely. The, the, the three things um, that left modernists are uh, super interested in. Well, I think it's it's race, gender, and sexuality. I think mm-hmm. those are the, the three things that kind of motivate them, right? Um, and you know, help define. I don't want to be pejorative, right? But they help define kind of the victim class that they can be all nurturing to. So it's no longer the poor. I mean, I'm sure they would throw in, of course, the poor, the poor, but it's no longer like a Bernie Sanders type, you know, social. Yeah, yeah, it's not class. It's identity. It's identity. And specifically kind of your sexual identity, your racial identity, identity, and your gender identity. Um, And that's what, yeah, what he calls left modernism has kind of become. And, um, and, and that sort of, um, it's, uh, there is basically a shift from a, uh, negative Liberty liberalism of say the Martin Luther King civil rights, um, movement, uh, era where, you know, liberals were, and, and yeah, we're looking for, uh, equal treatment, um, et cetera, to a world where it's a positive Liberty liberalism where you have to not only uh uh tolerate diversity you have to celebrate it and you have to and champion it you have to date trans people otherwise you're transphobic right exactly and um you can't be non-racist you have to be anti-racist you have to be anti-racist and so what does that have to do with the shrinking white tribe well, it just makes you anxious when, and this is something else that I you know, learned about in this book was um, sort of the impact of uh, Randolph Bourne, who was uh-huh. one of the progressives, right? Where he basically, you know, he basically he championed um, ethnic minorities to keep their identities and to celebrate them. Uh, in that you know we would have multiculturalism and that would be great and so um, blacks and Jews and Italians should try to maintain and celebrate their diversity and you know and celebrate you know and keep their ethnic traditional um, uh, markers um, but that the white minority should um, give up its exactly and um, basically celebrate basically, you know, it's it's kind of like a, a form of white guilt. Basically, um, celebrate those of the minorities, right? Um, like dissolve itself, dissolve itself in, into yeah. some sort of soup. Um, so yeah, it's like multiculturalism for thee, but not for me. So everyone else is allowed and encouraged to celebrate their ethnic differences, and you should be applauding it. But you are not allowed to do that, right? And you can see all. that sort of a straight line between that and today, where you know, people, you know, um, uh, 
Muslims are encouraged to celebrate their, you know, their traditions, etc. Um, but whites um, can't, you know, be cultural appropriation to, you know, take take anything, etc. And you and yeah. So you can see the anxiety that that produces. Right. Exactly. Because you know, it's it's an obvious, at least to me, it's an obvious double standard, right. and. Um, you know, it, it just, it plays in, like you said, it plays into the anxiety of, well, okay, I guess we have a lot of people that don't look like me, don't talk like me, are complete strangers to me moving here. Uh, that's a little scary because I'm kind of, you know, conservative and things are changing. Uh, but now, in addition to that, they're allowed to, you know, celebrate their difference and be who they are and, you know, change everything. And I'm not allowed to complain about it or say, what about me? Right. And if it's I do, I'm called a racist and now I'm the bad guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, so then I guess the ultimate question is, okay, so let's say we take Kaufman's advice and uh, we say, well, we need to, you know, we can't just repress this. We have to talk about it and we have to allow uh, self-identified whites to raise their concerns based on identity. What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's uh, like I said earlier, it, it, I don't know what that would mean. Yeah. You know, you know, if you go to like a large city, like, you know, like New York, or I guess maybe DC, but especially New York, they have so many ethnic whites there. Mm -hmm. I was there once and there was like a Polish pride parade, <laughs> which I'm sure there's like two other cities, like maybe Chicago and Detroit, maybe where you could have that because there's enough Polish people there. Um, and, you know, I, I think that happens a lot over there, um, like the day of Slovakian independence or whatever they have. Um, but, you know, I assume it's stuff like that. But again, to me, it's like, well, I don't know what it means to just, and maybe because I've bought into the America thing, right? But really it's a white thing. Um, so to me, like, I wouldn't even know. Like, I don't know what it would mean to celebrate your whiteness. Uh, as opposed, think, as yeah, opposed to like, well, my family is German and English. So like, here's our, you know, that I understand. Um, but that seems like a very like, that seems like a an ethnic thing. And I think people still kind of do that. Like, Oh, we're Norwegian. We're going to do some weird thing with like candles and fish. Um, but we're white. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. I mean, it, here, it, here's the way I think it could, you know, it could, it could manifest itself in a, um, you know, uh, healthy <laughs> way. Uh, um, although I don't, I, I can't see how this is ever going to, happen but it would be something like this it, it would it would not mean that you would have some big you know white group or white celebration or, or anything like that it would simply be that um members of both parties although really we're probably only going to see it on the on the right um when they are talking about let's say their opposition to increased immigration and uh how that why they favor restricted immigration, that among the reasons that they could state for that isn't just um, uh, crime. I mean, it's just such bullshit to say crime and, and stuff like that, right? So they could be honest and say, well, it's because um, I like America and America has a certain character and that character has to do with, um, uh, you know, the ideas and the ethnic composition. And I want to be more careful about 
preserving that. But I, you know, and I think that's it. I think if you could, if you could, you know, sort of state that as a uh, acceptable, rational reason, it may be something that you know that your counterparty doesn't agree with you, but it's in within, but it's within the uh, uh, within bounds of of acceptable discourse sure. to say that. <laughs> um, but I, I don't see how we how we get to that. Yeah, I mean, look, even I, uh, as as based as I am, <laughs> you know, it's like even hearing that from you, it's like. Ugh, I, I get like that kind of like gross out feeling like, eh, right. I don't know. Like, what do you, what do you mean? What do you really like, mean? Yeah. No, but yeah. it's like, well, what does that even mean? Like, what, like what, what history, you know, like, like I but get I, it, like George Washington and all that, but like, I don't know why some Asian guy can't yeah, like George yeah. Washington either. Yeah. Um, or. But I, you know. Yeah. But I think, I think what Kaufman might say is that at the end of the day, you might get the same result. Um, of a, like the same kind of level of um, immigration that you would, whether people were allowed to say that or not. It's just that in saying it, you could you could begin to have the conversation. Well, what do you mean, right? Like, let's look at the data. Um, uh, you know, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and again, like it might just be I'm not one of those people that he's talking about. I'm not like authoritarian or super conservative. Uh huh. So like to me. What are you laughing at? Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I am, but like, you know, it's not foremost on my mind. It doesn't have right. a lot of salience. Um, you know, it, it's that that's not such a critical issue and maybe I'm not paying attention, but so that's like a personal thing where it, to me, it gives me a, the willies a little, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, th I think you're right. Just allowing that conversation to happen would probably fix 50% of it. And right. by, by allowing it to happen, I don't mean like our current conversation on race, right. where, where half the people are just called racist, and that's the conversation. Uh, right. Yeah. And I, the only people who you know dare bring up those those thoughts um, publicly are going to be like the the bottom of the barrel, right? Where right. you're not going to have you know sort of intelligent intelligent people who might um, have those thoughts know better than to voice them. Yeah, I mean, not everyone is as bold so, as like Stephen King or Stephen right. King or whatever his name was of Iowa, <laughs> right? And so, and so, what you end up having is that um, you you're not getting the best representation for those kinds of ideas, right? Like, imagine you had Sam Huntington, um, you know, today saying, "Hey, well, you know, this is why." You know, he may be wrong; you might disagree with him, but uh, you know, I want to hear what he would have to say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, this, this reminds me that, you know, like what, 10 years ago or whenever, when talk of um, like open borders kind of first started bubbling up right. and, and Tyler Cowan said, you know, that's probably not a good idea yeah. <laughs> because, because, you know, like I get all of your like weird economist, autistic brain arguments about why it would solve everything. But, you know, like people live here and they get a vote and, yeah. it would cause probably mass cultural dislocation if you just allowed a billion people to show up here within 10 years. Yeah. Um, and we've, we've seen this. I mean, we, we, we've done the, we've run the experiment in Europe, right? Angela yeah. Merkel ran it, ran it for us. Yeah. And they already have a, such a strong, at least elite taboo against any of that stuff just because of their current history. And right. it didn't, you know, within a few years, it just completely turned everything upside down over there. So, yeah. Uh, yes. I mean, I think letting, letting people voice their concerns, even though like me, you don't necessarily buy it. 
I mean, I, you know, I kind of do, but I kind of don't. It's, um, a, it's a wet margin to me, right? Sure. I, I think if you had open borders and uh, all of sub-Saharan Africa showed up here tomorrow, it would change the character of this country. So that's a fact, right? You can't deny that. Um, it, so really it's about, you know, at what margin? And that's a conversation you should have, right? Yeah. And I mean, it, it just goes back to the left modernism where th those people would have to just kind of dial that down a little. And I think he says that in the book because yeah. if your your argument is, well, so open immigration, half of like sub-Saharan Africa shows up, somebody who's left modernist might say, well, that's wonderful. They get to express their culture and you will get to enjoy it. Right. And, and it's like, well, know. that's not really, that's not really, a, I guess it's good that we've all said that out loud, but that doesn't really help the situation. Right. All right, Stavely. Well, I think we have exhausted the, the book <laughs> and our listeners probably. Um, so I take it you would recommend this book. Yeah, it's, it's really good. It's, you know, it's long, it's, it's very dense. Um, but there are a lot of graphs so that eats up page count <laughs> <laughs> if that's the way you measure things. Um, but you know, he's very careful and likes to define his terms and, you know, he's not talking down to anyone or throwing any bombs or anything yeah. like that. So it's, it was, you know, it was super interesting. You know, there's a lot of history in it. It is not just like a USA today, like here's 15,000 right. like graphs. And what are you talking about? Um, he goes into a lot of intellectual history and the history of immigration and kind of immigration law. And that was super interesting. I learned a lot of stuff that, you know, you're not going to get just by, yeah. you know, listening to these conversations out in the real world. Yeah. So ditto for me. Uh, so next time, uh, we will be doing, uh, and I, and I picked this next one. So I picked something that is mercifully short. Huh? Um, it's a novella, which I think is like a hundred pages. Um, uh, it is called true names and the, so, so the novella is called true names by Werner Vinge. Um, the book that I want us to read is true names and the opening of the cyberspace frontier, which is the novella plus a bunch of essays inspired by it, sort of, sort of nonfiction essays um, inspired by it, by a bunch of uh, sort of cyber luminaries like Timothy C. Bay and Marvin Minsky and and the rest. Um, and uh, yeah, so True Names is about sort of, um, I think it was written in the early 90s, um, maybe even late 80s, I'm not sure. It kind of was one of the first visions of cyberspace and uh, some of the issues that that would raise. Um, and I think it could be uh, relevant to our present moment. All right. Okay. See you next time, Stably. All right, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs>